views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Conversation reparations, conversation reparations, conversation reparations. Welcome to the next show of conversation reparations brought to you by the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. Uh, my name is Brother Jamoke Fetayo. Also co-hosting with me is... Vanita Lacey. All right. Uh, we... I serve as the Southeast Regional Representative of Encobra and also the male co-chair of the Atlanta chapter of Encobra. And uh, Benita also serves as the female co-chair of the Atlanta chapter of Encobra. And today we really have a dynamic show in store for people. Um, we spent some time talking about H.R. 40 and, and Senate Bill 1083 on previous shows. And what we're going to do today is sort of dig into how the different cities and different states have been localizing their reparations efforts. And I think this is an important strategy because uh, one of the examples I often use is the example of Martin Luther King's birthday becoming a federal holiday. And one of the things that helped to lead that is because we know Conyers introduced the bill in 1968 right after King was assassinated and he himself even confessed that he just did it because he was a young uh, radical uh, congressperson and he, and he wanted to do something to honor King, not really even knowing if that was how real, thinking that it was really realistic that it could become a law. But what happened is there was a momentum that began to build up with different seas and different states, uh, different unions and different organizations. Um, supporting the idea of Martin Luther King becoming uh, birthday being a national holiday, uh, and and so as that momentum built up, um, and 15 years later, uh, it, it, it evolved to. And of course, I like to always ask Stevie Wonder had a nice um, 
added an important component to it, and it ended up becoming uh, a national, a federal holiday, Martin Luther King's birthday. And a lot of people didn't feel like that was going to be possible. It was not going to happen in the United States, and we never get an African American uh, holiday in the United States. And so, uh, and and so, the point I was just making is just that uh, part of the strategy that got to it um, becoming a federal ho holiday was the groundswell at the local levels. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, there's a lot of momentum around reparations. There's also a lot of, at the federal level, um, as I said, we've talked about this before, and that's, I just saw an email today that has now raised uh, the congressional um, co-sponsors of H.R. 40 count. Uh, the last time I think we reported out, it was about 106, and now it's 116. Um, so it continues to grow. But like, like I said, we want to, on this show, we're going to look into how people have been looking at uh, moving this reparations conversation at the local level, uh, city level, and uh, as well as state level. Uh, Brother Jamoke, just want to let yeah. you know that I believe you have uh, one of your scheduled guests on the line. Okay, great. Because uh, I was hoping Chicago I wasn't going to keep living too much longer. <laughs> Brother Cam Howard on the line? Yes, what's going on, Brother Jamoke? Hey, Brother Man, how you doing? Good, good. good, good. So, yeah, so as, as I was saying, you know, one of the um, – cities in my mind that has really um, shown by example and have taken leadership in this whole idea of localizing the reparations movement. And even as I was making my notes today, I was like, wow, I hadn't, you know, looking at all of it at one time. And, you know, I really, you know, in, in, at one point, Brother Kevin, I, we were planning on doing this show, giving you the full hour, but we probably, you know, we could come back and, uh, you know, revisit some of these issues. But I think we should just touch on many of them, you know, um, you know, from the Chicago Slavery Disclosure Act for the Transatlantic Slave Trade Commission to the Reparation, Presidential Reparations Commission to the University of Chicago Reparations Fight to the um, uh, Norfolk Southern uh, Railroad. Uh, reparations fight to the hospital um, fight to the to the police uh, chief Burge uh, reparations victory. So you all have a lot, um, you know, to um, as an example for other cities and other states to look at that you know Chicago and, and the state of Illinois has done. So that's why we subtitled this Chicago and Pennsylvania leading the way because I really do believe that Chicago has set um, a great example in doing. Uh, a lot of work at advancing the reparations movement at the local level and at the state level. So um, let's go ahead and just have um, Brother Cam Howard is the national male co-chair of INCOBRA, as well as the uh, legislative uh, male co-chair of the Legislative Commission of INCOBRA, and also works with other formations representing INCOBRA and the reparations movement. So why don't you just tell us a, a little bit of your background, Brother Cam, and how um, you got connected with Cobra and the Legislative Commission. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, my background is uh, I'm a, a real estate investor, businessman in South South Chicago. But uh, you know, living in Chicago, you see the um, results of the uh, what we now call crimes that have been committed, the bad acts that have been committed. 
against our people over the centuries. We, can, we see it glaringly in a lot of the challenges that we face as uh, residents of this city. And so uh, I think I got into the reparations movement right around the time that uh, the House had apologized for enslavement. It got fully in about a, uh, a year or two later when the Senate had apologized. I always, always had uh, was keen on the idea of fighting for redress for our people, but I hadn't actually joined uh, in COVID. I had read about it, heard about it, but I hadn't actually joined. I think I joined in 2006 and um, began just doing actions on the local level um, and moving my way up into the uh, uh, place of leadership, uh, first as a uh, board member at large and then as a uh, commission chair of the Legislative Commission, which I held that position for a number of years. I think uh, right at the time that uh, President Obama became elected, I think in 2009 I was appointed. Uh, at that particular time, mm -hmm. there was a uh, House and House Senate and the presidency was all controlled by the Democrats. Congressman Conyers wanted to renew a, a push on his legislation and invited in Cobra up to, to uh, Detroit at that time. And I was appointed to Legislative Commission Chair then. And we've been married to HR 40, you know, through the good and bad times. Uh, <laughs> uh, certainly, we had a good time with HR 40. We had a fantastic, marvelous, great time. With HR 40 at this particular point, we had the best time we've ever been since its introduction. So, yes, yes, yeah, I, I can imagine that Kanye's must be like really um, thinking about you know what it means that we have over 116. We have 116 now co-sponsors on HR 40, like just unprecedented. Yeah, we still have a long way to go. How was that? A long way to go. Uh, on HR 40, I was at the, and I'll get to uh, the local in, in a second, but just from the touch mm -hmm. on HR 40, I was at the sure. Congressional Caucus weekend um, event uh, Thursday. Mm -hmm. It was on HR 40, and I wanted to stress uh, the, the, what, what work we still have to do on HR 40. You know, we have 116 co-sponsors. Uh, the next step is to get it out of committee, which is called a markup. Uh, where there's right. debate and uh, a vote at the committee level. You know, it's never made it out of committee. And right, right now, 17 Republicans. We have 17 of the 24 Democrats who are uh, on the Judiciary Committee have co-sponsored. But there's seven still Democrats who, are, who, are, who have not made a decision. So if it was to go to a markup now, uh, we would not win. So our job is mm -hmm. to, Cobra and others, is to... Uh, get these other seven Democrats, at least four of them, to uh, co-sponsor. And then we ha we're looking at having to get to the number 150 co-sponsors before it moves to the House floor. So if we get a positive vote in the Judiciary Committee, it goes to the House floor, and we want to have at least 150 co-sponsors by the time it gets to the House floor, because you can't add any more co-sponsors once it gets to the floor. And so okay. uh, we'll be well on our way to uh, getting this passed if we can, these things fall into line. So that's the work ahead of us. Yes, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that um, to us. Um, do, you, do you have a list of those those seven uh, Democratic holdouts or, or maybe a list of the four that we're trying to uh, tip the scale with 
Or well, if not yeah, now, we can always, um, you know, address that at a later point. Yeah, we want to get that list. I'm putting it on our website, and we'll be getting yeah, that on yeah. our website within the next week. But uh, uh, quickly, uh, Underwood, not Underwood, Stacey uh, McBath, she's a... Uh, Lucy, Lucy, Lucy McBath. McBath. Yes. Yeah, Lucy McBath. Lucy McBath. Yeah, I know her. That She's from Georgia. Yeah, from your home state, brother. We need y'all to put some, you know, do some phone yeah. calling, man. Get them on. Yeah, we, we, we've been working on that. We've been working on her. We've been working on the sister. We'll continue to work on her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't realize she was on the judici- judiciary committee. Okay, yeah. so we got to work either. Yeah, I the She's the only one sure. of the uh, that we should be able to do some immediate type of uh, movement on, understanding that now we're at this particular point. 116 classes, and we had a place where we needed to take a vote. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're putting this down. Sure, sure, sure. All right. So, like I said, you know, I don't know if you heard me run off the list of all of the Chicago and Illinois. Uh, reparations campaigns or maybe not even all of them but some of the major ones but I guess we should I think we should I know we have a bill that you're proposing that you're working with for coalition of people to put forward on September 18th but I thought we might want to discuss some of these other local um, initiatives that have happened in Chicago and the state of Illinois before we get to that so um, in 2000 we uh, passed a city resolution uh, in support of H.R. 40. In that same year, 2000, we passed the first municipal uh, slave disclosure ordinance that required any corporation or institution that wanted to do business with the city that they would disclose, that they uh, they had to research their records and disclose if they found any records pertaining to uh, enslavement. Um, and that was followed up by about 20, 19 or 20 other cities who then yeah. also uh, created the slavery disclosure resolutions. I think in, uh, I don't know exactly when the Indaba was, but I think it had a birth in Chicago. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, in 2006, I think, or 2006, I think it was, it was the, uh, we got past the first and only state-sponsored slavery commission. Um, they put out two reports, one in 2007 and again in 2001 and 2008, to look at some of the uh, uh, abuses, even in laws in the state of Illinois. Um, people think because it was a northern state, it didn't have any complicity with the enslavement of our ancestors. But we know a lot of right. the industry and cottage industries and the state that became full industries were financed by Southern enslavement, as well as most of your northern universities. And then Illinois, the first two governors were enslavers of Illinois uh, County, of Illinois Territory, I should say. Um, So that report was uh, produced uh, in 2013 or 14. State Representative LaShawn Ford had uh, passed through the Illinois legislature with a unanimous vote that um, President Obama created a presidential commission, and then he just did the same thing. Uh, and when in Trump's first year of presidency, he had a, a resolution passed in the state of Illinois calling on President Trump to uh, craft a slavery commission. So um, right. then we, yeah, so that's kind of the legislative 
uh, thing we, that we've been able to push in this, you know, going back again since 2000. Um, this, what we're introducing on Wednesday will be the first legislative move since the 2001 legislation in the city, although we've had the, the three state-sponsored legislation. Well, the city council, uh, the John Birch reparations, you did mention that, was actually mm-hmm. a, a payment that we did get redress, actual redress from. Um, so, yeah, so Chicago's been busy. Um, uh, we have feel we have a lot more work to do. Uh, I know we have a lot more work to do with the city uh, or a resolution that we're going to introduce. And then we did uh, some major actions against corporations. Norfolk Southern Railroad, you mentioned that. Um, they were uh, seeking to buy some city land to expand their rail yard. And uh, we brought up the whole issue of reparations with the crimes they committed during enslavement and for 50, 60 years after enslavement with the convict leasing system, leasing our ancestors from the state and working them um, on their railroads, clearing land and um, repairing track, et cetera. And they worked them harder than they were worked during enslavement, literally working them to death. So we brought that up out and we were able to get the uh, corporation to uh, capitulate um, to some of the uh, uh, issues that were being raised in our community around environmental injustices that the corporation was it was dealing with. Uh, and so we were able to get those uh, victories uh, in that regard, so having them uh, instill, install uh, higher diesel emission standards, equipment, and what they initially originally wanted to uh, to uh, install. Uh, and that was only because of we raised the reparations issue. And, and then there were some community benefits agreements that some people were looking at were raising uh, that they were able to get the railroad to agree to because we raised the, res- the reparations issue. And we went up against... Uh, uh, Rush University Medical Center. Uh, we know that a lot of these institutions, again, had teaching or educational institutions, especially the medical institutions, early medical institutions, uh, had a, a history of abuse of our ancestors, experimentation, et cetera, uh, on their bodies uh, to build a, a market uh, to bring students, especially from Europe, to some of these schools. Um, yeah, so we, we've been at work and, you know, um, there's always work to be done on the local level because at the local level yeah. where our ancestors actually um, injured or where the crimes are actually committed on the local level, even though it was a result of federal legislation and federal policy, but it was at the local level yeah. where it was actually, the, the actions were actually committed. Clients were actually committed. So, yeah, we say in every city there's an institution or business that we should be going out there on a regular basis because they're, you know, so much of their history, the economic history of this country is tied to the enslavement of our ancestors. That's right. Well, I, I know you kind of went over those kind of fast and, um, like I said, we'll, we'll have to figure out a way. We'll, we'll bring you back on to kind of 
delineate some of these in a little bit more detail. I think, you know, for, you know, because I know, I mean, you and I both know about these incidences, but, you know, I want to just kind of break it down for people who are listening, like, the, you know, the, the Presidential Reparations Commission, for example, based, again, around H.R. 40, but instead of saying that, you know, Congress would set up a commission that the president could set up a commission and, you know, that Obama could have set up a presidential commission on reparations as well as Trump could set up a reparations commission, you know. So just, you know, wanted to bring that out a little bit more. And I think also significant, you know, we didn't talk about yet the University of Chicago, is how some of the, the demands that have been made in Chicago, there, there, there's a level of consciousness to understand that it's a reparations demand. Because, see, you all could have fought the whole Norfolk Southern thing just from a perspective of, you know, they're not doing right in, in the black community as opposed to bringing in a reparations lens. And, you know, that's, I think, is something that is significant and important. Like, what made me think about is here in Atlanta, for example, when there was um, building a, a new uh, sports dome, sports arena, and, you know, the community was organizing and pushing back because it sits right next to, again, a low-income neighborhood. And, and then the question is, y'all going to invest a billion dollars? The city's going to invest $500 million, and then the private developers going to invest another $500 million. And so the quest was just for $30 million to be invested in the community right near the dome. But, again, um, you know, we could have made that maybe through a reparations lens you know, uh, with the particular corporations and things like that, um, you know, but we, you know, but it wasn't fought from that, that per particular perspective. Right. So, and again, find, uh, okay. Yeah, and what you find is when you interject the reparations issue, you're giving more leverage to those other entities who are not pushing from it. They, they're simply wanting, not simply, they're, they're demanding justice, but not from the standpoint of, um, historical wrongs, and so like with the Norfolk Southern case, there were a lot of environmental groups who were pushing back on Norfolk Southern, but they were getting absolutely nowhere. In fact, Norfolk Southern refused to even talk to them. City council was not hearing anything. But when we brought in the, the reparations issue, it forced them to look at everything and. Um, it was reported that they capitulated, and they did capitulate. They were forced to capitulate because what we were what we were going after was seventeen um, seventeen million dollars, which was a six percent of the project cost that they were engaged in. And instead of dealing with us with the seventeen million, which would have been a major reparations victory, uh, they went ahead and, and decided that they would spend the millions of dollars necessary to retrograde their their equipment which they weren't going to do had we not interjected this reparations issues. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, well, well, time is moving by. So what, why don't, um, let's, let's get into this, the current bill right now that, um, you all are about to introduce. Oh, uh, brother so, Jamoke, okay, before you do that in, in, um, greetings to brother Kim Howard, and uh, Sister Bonita, this is Scotty, the sound engineer. Uh, we need to take an early uh, station identification break so that I can uh, All right. reset our line. I'm, I apologize. We're getting used to this new Uber conference setup, which is pretty slick, and I like it from a producer's standpoint, but I got to get used to where all the controls are and also let the uh, listeners know if you're a scheduled guest, 
Um, you'll hear it when we reset the uh, line. Nobody will get hung up on. Don't sweat that. Um, but uh, I need to mute everyone coming in, and then you just hit star, star to unmute yourself, and I'll get the current speakers unmuted. So apologies for, for interrupting. It's on me, and I'm just trying to get used to the new board. All right. We appreciate all you do to engineer these shows, brother Scotty Reed. We appreciate you. podcast and live program scheduling visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com and we are, we're back we're back every uh, brother Jamoke your mic is open I do believe uh, the representative is on the line joining us from Pennsylvania as well but everybody's mic is open all right, very good. All, All right. right, so um, um, yeah, just maybe because since we did touch on it, why don't we just briefly talk about the uh, University of Chicago piece, and then we'll, um, you could give us an update on on the current bill that's coming before the Chicago City Council. Yeah, like I mentioned, uh, quite a few northern universities, southern as well, but uh, certainly some of the early northern universities were funded via um, monies that were earned from uh, enslaved African labor, uh, as well as uh, like Georgetown, the actual university was built by enslaved African labor. But the University of Chicago, which is one of the premier universities in this country, has shaped political and economic policy for the last maybe 70, 80 years in this country, uh, had its origin uh, with a man called Stephen Douglas. Stephen Douglas ran against President Lincoln, and we heard of the famous Lincoln-Douglas debates. But he married a woman in Mississippi whose father was a very wealthy slaver, criminal, and uh, upon, his, upon his, her father's death, he inherited her estate. Because at that time, you know, uh, women would, could not have not have direct inheritance. But anyway, he inherited the state. He moved to Illinois, started a political career and a real estate career in Illinois. Um, sub- left his estate in the hands of his overseer, who was by Mississippi State standards, uh, other enslavers said he was the worst enslaver, most cruel enslaver in the state. And Stephen Douglas uh-huh. had. Been written about it, written to him about it, and from other enslavers saying you had to do something with this guy, and he ignored it. And uh, subsequently, uh, having made a, force, a bigger fortune in Illinois on real estate, he uh, bequeathed the first land that the University of Chicago was built on to the university. And so um, it has its origins, you know, the university has its origins as a result of the money that was uh, made off enslavement and the money that he inherited uh, from uh, 
from his wife's father's criminality. And the University of Chicago has been saying, you know, they don't have any ties because uh, that land, the university moved to his former, to his to his current campus uh, about, uh, I think, about 20 years later. Uh, that they went bankrupt or whatever, but they took with them all of their donors. They took with them all of their books, uh, most of their professors. So there's actually was no really break in the university, just that they moved from uh, from previous land that they had. So we've had uh, some college law students, other law professors, show that predecessor connection um, uh, that the university, even though it just moved. The original went bankrupt, and that it moved from locations that was still still the same entity. Uh, as a result of that struggle, we're still you know trying to convince the city that the university has committed fraud and that it has not filed slavery disclosure reports for the 20 years that uh, the law has been in place. And as a result, every contract, according to the law. Every contract at the University of Chicago has been officially be halted. And that even um, plays into the building of the presidential library, the Obama Center, because the University of Chicago has, is the leading uh, entity in that particular project. So we were trying to get that shut down until they uh, entered into some type of an agreement, community benefits agreement with organization that is pushing that uh, Obama Center Community Benefits Agreement piece, as well as um, the students who uncovered this uh, this information on the university, uh, they also had some demands. And so uh, we were trying to use the, the law center, I mean the Obama Center as a leverage to force them into some type of negotiations with the, with the, the community. And that's ongoing. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I have a um, brother, um, Guy Emerson Mouth, who you introduced me to, you know, who's moved down here to Atlanta now and um, uh, teaches at a school. That I, I think he teaches in Alabama. Mm -hmm. But he's, um, he, um, you know, has been keeping me up to date on, on that situation and let me know that that's still an ongoing fight. I know he's one of the, he was one of the leaders in that, in that fight in, at the University of Chicago. As a, as a uh, doctoral student in history, he and uh, three other doctoral students did the actual research and uncovered yeah. that and put it out in the report. And so, yeah, it is an ongoing study. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. So let's uh, briefly get into this, this bill and let us know what we need to know about that. And then we're going to tr transition and um, hear from Brother Christopher Rapp, who's the uh, Pennsylvania uh, state representative that's introduced a statewide bill on reparations, and of course, you know, Cam, you can hang on and and um, chime in if you if you want to. Um, right now, you could just give us an update on this um, what what we need to know about this current bill as Chicago continues to lead the way on reparations. For sure. Um, what's interesting about this entire process is that the reparations, most of the reparations fights. In, in Chicago have been led by um, grassroots and uh, even the slavery disclosure ordinance that was that was introduced by Alderman Tillman was even one that was organized at the grassroots level and then taken to a um, representative, a councilwoman. 
who uh, was strong enough to see and, and visionary enough to see its potential. But this particular issue is being led by a wealthy businessman. In fact, he, um, uh, this is by the name of Reverend uh, Willie Wilson, Dr. Reverend Willie Wilson, who's also a uh, ran for mayor a couple of times in the city. He uh, was inspired by the presidential debates where they talked about reparations and he decided that he was going to get into the fight and push a reparations legislation in the city of Chicago. And so he got together um, some politicians who he felt would, uh, would craft the legislation where he got, um, he brought in some, some uh, representatives uh, at the city level as well as the state level because they're going to introduce a state level as well, state bill similar and brought them together to agree to introduce legislation. There was a commissioner who he called a lawyer uh, to actually craft it. And what he, then he went around uh, the city having uh, town hall meetings. And at the very first um, meeting, I made a statement that I thought that this was a correct choice of uh, venue for a, a reparations commission at the city level and at the state level. And subsequently, uh, with Encova's backing, uh, we uh, were able to give wider support and to uh, actually change the, the, the resolution uh, from the way it was originally designed. Uh, the way it was originally designed was one that would deal primarily with um, people of African descent, descendants of African American descendants of slavery. Um, who um, were under the poverty line. And so uh, we know there's a lot of contention around the use of ADOS as representative of all people of African descent whose, whose ancestors experienced the harms of enslavement in this country. So we wanted, didn't want it to be a partisan piece, and we didn't want it to be something strictly only for people who are impoverished. And we wanted it to complement the uh, national legislation and be in alignment with international norms. So that was a lot of stuff we wanted to alter with the, in the bill. We were successful in uh, persuading Dr. Wilson. Uh, we, uh, Dr. Uh, Commissioner Boykins brought in Conrad Worrell, who solidified in Congress' position in working with um, Dr. Wilson and Alderman Ross Sawyer, who's going to introduce the bill, or actually the resolution. Uh, the resolution is calling for a commission to craft public policy in, in, in uh, alignment with the international norms of full reparations, succession and guarantees of non-repetition, restitution, compensation, satisfaction, and rehabilitation. So this commission will be funded with the initial uh, amount of $1 million, and the commission will become a permanent part of the city government and will last for uh, 20 years. We didn't want anything like a quick fix, and we wanted something that would have ongoing oversight of all of the public policy that's created or crafted, uh, that's designed to be crafted around the care of our people. We noted that uh, this year marks the 100th anniversary of the killing of the young brother who crammed uh, over into the white, quote unquote, white side of the beach. And he was stoned to death, and that sparked uh, over a week of rioting of white folks coming to our community, uh, looting, killing, 
think over 300 people were, were killed uh, during that 1919, quote-unquote, race riot. Uh, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the Chicago Police Department and the 6th Attorney Department murder of Chairman Fred Hampton. Uh, yeah, we, so. we indicated that in this resolution. We also indicated, uh, as we talked about earlier, the, num the number of uh, actions by uh, the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois legislatively around this issue. And so uh, we informed the current city council of the history of, the, of that particular body in regards to reparations and what their duty uh, is uh, today. Uh, this current uh, group of uh, politicians, what their duties are today in regards to this, this full of knowledge that we have about uh, injury as well as uh, repair. Right. That resolution. So um, I'll give you a chance to say some last words. One que question I have also, just in terms of the politics of this bill, so just like you were giving us a rundown of the, the members of the uh, Judiciary Committee in terms of the City Council, what's the um, likelihood or how, how are the numbers looking in terms of this bill being passed, resolution being passed? So there are 50 City Council members in the city of Chicago. Twenty of them are, are of African descent. Um, so far, we have one white vote. We have, uh, and we only need twenty six votes. We have nine uh, Hispanic votes, and uh, we don't have the full black caucus yet. But uh, we're working on it. But we do have, believe we have already in place uh, twenty eight votes. Um, so, but we won't know that until. Um, it's going to be introduced on Wednesday. We plan on having a large mobilization out there, press conference, and then yeah. uh, we go to a subcommittee, and the subcommittee will be crafted, be charged with crafting uh, how the ordinance will actually look. So it's not the creation of it's not going to be voted on on Wednesday. It will just be introduced, and then we have to go to work. Right. Any any word from your new mayor on it? Uh, no, but we do know that uh, before she was mayor, uh, in 2004 or five, she was working for this high-powered law firm in the uh, city of Chicago, Brown and Mayor, and um, they were happened to be one of the uh, law firms that were um, who were for the. Um, Defendants in the slavery disclosure and the slavery lawsuit and the slavery lawsuit that we had, and they selected uh, Ms. Lightfoot to be the uh, lead, lead lead lawyer in, def in defending why the corporation should not um, have to pay. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So. I know I didn't explain it very well, but yeah, she was uh, the, the she argued all arguments in that case against black people receiving revenue. I got it. All right. So, um, you have any? Um, you like that? You're welcome to stay on the call and continue to participate. You had any um, closing remarks you want to leave us with? And it's not like Benita, you wanted to add something. I did yeah, not. I just wanted to thank him because we have. I know we have another guest on hold too. So. Okay. Yeah, I was just one. My closing argument is that you have a lot of work to do. Um, 
everywhere we live, we should be in this movement. Uh, state of Pennsylvania, state of New York has a, a bill here in Chicago. I think Vermont. Um, yeah. There's a lot of work to do, and uh, we can win. You know, we just mobilize. All right, very good. Thank you, Brother Cam. Um, we want to go ahead and, and introduce a, a state representative, Christopher Rabb. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right or not. Um, to, you are. To, okay, great. To um, give us an update, I don't know how long you've been listening or not, but to let us know uh, of the, the work that you are doing as a, in terms of bringing uh, reparations at at the statewide level, you've heard what's been going on in Chicago as well as in the state of Illinois. And as we know, also some stuff is going on in Vermont, which we need to find out more about as well. And, and in New York, we heard um, Cam and I also heard Charles Barron speak about the reparations bill that he has in New York as well, State Assemblyman Charles Barron. So uh, we were able to get you on the call, though. Um, so we want to hear what you're doing in, in the state of Pennsylvania. Thank you. Uh, well, first and foremost, um, I'm a native Chicagoan. <laughs> All right, I, so I just put that out there right now. I actually grew up not far from the University of Chicago, and I'm not surprised of its uh, historic connection to slavery. Uh, as a graduate of Yale University, uh, I am uh, I have sought for a long time to make the connection between its wealth uh, on this planet and its extraction of uh, value from enslaved uh, African laborers. And uh, after 29 years of fighting the good fight against a, a residential college at Yale, named after white supremacist John C. Calhoun, uh, about a year or two ago, they changed the name. Um, I would have preferred it if they named it after a black abolitionist, but at least um, there was modest progress on that front. But uh, I adopted Philly as my home 17 years ago. Uh, I was elected to office the same night. What's his name? One. Uh, and uh, I, I represent 65,000 people in Northwest Philly um, in the largest full-time state legislature in the country. And uh, three weeks ago on the 400th anniversary of the uh, arrival of enslaved Africans in Jamestown, I announced uh, formally announced in the form of a co-sponsorship memo my intent to introduce uh, a state-based reparations bill um, and the idea behind it, the conceptual framework uh, for this forthcoming bill is to do more than just have a commission. Um, it is also about a formal apology and an explicit acknowledgement that the, uh, the disparities and the racial inequities that persist uh, in this country and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania was not due to cultural deficiencies of black folk or the individual, the bad choices of individuals, but it was born of, of racist public policy on the federal and state and local levels. That's right. Uh, on the last point, um, as it relates to the financial redress uh, for black folk, um, it does not call for cutting a check or providing cash to black folk. It is a it will likely be an opt in annual um entitlement where folks can apply for it. So for black folk who don't believe in reparations, uh they have nothing to worry about. Nobody's gonna make them take money. Uh for black folk who who don't identify as black, 
you're not going you you're not eligible because <laughs> this should only be for folks who have consistently over uh, x number of years self-identify as black so for all the Cablin Asian Tiger Wood folk out there um, <laughs> who don't identify as black, you ain't getting a dime. Uh, this is for folks who uh, both can prove that uh, they have identified and in terms of formal documentation as black or African American. Um, and it's for folks who uh, want to receive reparations. So that's the opt-in part. Um, they have to uh, have residency in Pennsylvania and the longer their people, their African ancestors have been in Pennsylvania, the longer they have a black connection to multiple policy eras in Pennsylvania, um, the larger entitlement um, they get. So if you just move to Philly and you're black, um, whether or not you can um, identify an enslaved ancestor in the United States or in Pennsylvania, you get something, but you get the most if you can identify that you descend from uh, an enslaved black Pennsylvanian and your family has been here for generations. Because the, the premise of this bill is that Pennsylvania has been complicit um, in racist policy um, directly and indirectly, has benefited from slavery well after uh, gradual abolition began in this commonwealth in 1780. Um, and uh, therefore, if you uh, if you had a black presence in Pennsylvania, the longer you've been here, uh, the more susceptible uh, you have been to racist policies that have marginalized you and, and decreased the likelihood that you have um, benefited from um, all the other opportunities that that white folks often take for granted. So that's kind of new. I haven't seen that in other state legislation. Um, I also, it's a major departure from what other folks are doing is we're trying to front load the research before a commission is even created. Uh, when you think about the first efforts to do this and you think about uh, Congressman John Connors out of Detroit, H.R. 40, um, it was a different time. It was before the Internet. It was before digitization of, of documents. Now what would it what would take researchers then months and years to compile could take us uh, seconds, minutes, hours to compile. Every single state law from 1776 to the present in Pennsylvania is now accessible for free by anyone who has a library card. So I don't know if when my, uh, when previous state lawmakers in Pennsylvania introduced a reparations bill back in 1995, which was the same year that the internet was, you know, born to and made available to the average, uh, you know, global citizen, that the stuff was digitized so that they could actually do that research. So a commission back then uh, made more sense because you have to find researchers who could actually do that work and there'd be money set aside for that labor. Whereas now, we have kind of democratized access to information and there are a lot of experts, whether they have formal education or not, whether they work for a government or not, or a university or not. And we can research um, right now in ways that a commission would have, would have had to take years. So I'm really trying to document before I introduce this bill in the coming months, all the laws 
that Pennsylvania has on the books since 1776 that document um, that uh, that white supremacist uh, perspective on black life across the Commonwealth. And I assure you that most of my colleagues will not know the range of things that acutely and negatively impacted black folk across Pennsylvania, because how would they know? This is not something that's well documented in most public schools. It's not documented by corporate media. It's not documented um, in most quarters. So this may be the first time ever that people, that the general public and people in positions of influence will actually know the history of public policy that has negatively impacted black people for centuries in Pennsylvania. And I'm really excited that we're, gonna, we're about to get um, started on this. In fact, this week I'm having a research meeting with a number of stakeholders, and we're going to share the information that we find in real time um, so that people don't say, I know that when I was growing up in Chicago and uh, white folk and their kids were saying, oh, you know, you're complaining about racism, uh, slavery, you know, ended 150 years ago, get over it as though somehow there was a level playing field once the 13th Amendment was, a rat, was ratified. And that is right. uh, aggressively ignorant. So what we're really trying to do is fill the void um, so that no one has the luxury of ignorance. And we can say, well, actually, here are all the things that happened on the federal and state level um, that led to the disparities we're dealing with now in places like Philadelphia, where the, the deep poverty rate is 26%, where half of black uh, uh, black folk are living in poverty. It's the poorest big city um, in the country. It is the highest incarcerating city in the world. And uh, we can be able to start connecting the dots between where we are now and when gradual abolition began back in 1780 and say, this is no accident. This is not the choice or a uh, pattern of bad decisions that individual black people make. This is actually um, by design based on state government and private industry because I heard the, the uh, previous conversation before I got on private industry is culpable too uh, exceptionally right. so this bill only deals with state government but this does not give a pass to the religious orders whether the Jesuits you mentioned Georgetown one of the descendants of the enslaved laborers at Georgetown I went to school with in High Park in Chicago he lives in, in uh, uh, suburban D.C., but he's actually one of the re recipients of reparations from Georgetown. That's real stuff. So in addition to what state government does, we can also say what's, what happens on a municipal level, what happens in the private sector, what happens in philanthropy, right? Because some of the largest foundations were funded by the largest corporations that directly or indirectly benefited from enslaved labor. So this is just the beginning. But even just putting together the research, if this bill goes nowhere, and frankly, I'm my chamber, the Pennsylvania House of Representatives and the state Senate are controlled by the Tea Party here in Pennsylvania. So it's a right wing extremist a cadre of Republicans that control it. So this bill doesn't will not see the light of day as long as they're in leadership. But the 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 information the objective data around what Pennsylvania did and continues to do will be made available to journalists, to academics, to activists, to youth, to teachers, whomever, so that we can move the conversation forward so that people 
will no longer have a, a, a leg to stand on when they try to put out these specious arguments about um, why we shouldn't get our fair share and why we should not have the type of acknowledgement and reparative uh, um, uh, uh, initiatives that will make us whole. All right, we're coming to towards the end of the show. Uh, appreciate um, your sharing, your your vision, and how you're going about this. And 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 one of the things I think that I'm also hearing is that this is going to be like an ongoing process that you really just just starting out. So we can definitely bring you back on as things develop with this process that you're moving forward. Um, one of the things I just wanted to uh, really point I felt out to make sure we discuss is that we, you know, we do have a, a Philadelphia and Cobra chapter, and um, and Brother Ari Morenazon and other um, activists there. In That's right. I don't know if you've been in. in well, communication they're with the them. ones who came to me, so it's okay. because of Minister Ari and his folks that said, "Hey, will you do this?" They entrusted me with leading right. on this legislation. So I want to give a big right. shout out to them. And Ari's one of my constituents. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And then also there's another brother. Um, we have uh, some connections with uh, some folks in Pittsburgh as well that, um, that are doing some good work there that, you know, maybe you might want to connect with as well. Um, That's right. That's right. They got yeah. some good, good public. They got some good um, publicity recently in, in the newspaper in Pittsburgh. And I was approached by one of the, black state representatives in that area saying that they just uh, heard about the work they're doing. So I hope to work closely with all of these folks you mentioned. Oh, very, very good. Very, very good. Um, yeah. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, I do have um, a statement more than a question. And my statement to uh, legislators is, especially Democratic and independent legislators, are we afraid to have discussions around reparations with Republicans and make them bring to light their views? So that's my statement. I think we should have those conversations regardless of if it goes nowhere because we're not pulling them to the carpet if we don't say anything at all. That's a great point. Yeah, and and following up on that, you know, I was on a, a panel some time ago with a it was a conservative uh, African American Republican, I guess he calls himself on the panel, and was talking about strategy and and the problems of the Democratic Party and all of that. And you know, reparations isn't a Democratic or Republican issue. We we think that you know perhaps the Democrats will be more sensitive to reparations, but it really isn't a Democrat or Republican issue. It's really a justice issue. And I think we should always keep that in mind. You know, even when I mentioned in the beginning of the show, you know, Martin Luther King's birthday, national holiday, that was signed into law by Ronald Wilson Reagan, right? So, uh, again, I think that's, you know, a good point that Benita brings up, that we should not be afraid to challenge them and and, and to um, you know, bring this message to all of the elected officials, Democrat or Republican or whatever their, their party affiliation. So, Cam, I imagine you had a, a comment or two about um, what Brother uh, Representative laid out in his resolution. You still with us, Cam? Yeah, Brother. Uh, Hello? Yeah, we hear you. Oh, okay. 
I, I didn't hear you. I stepped away from the phone. So I'm sorry. Uh, Paul, if you have uh, any comments or questions for our dear uh, representative in terms of the strategy or the ideas behind his legislative um, bill that he proposes. No, I, thought, I think it was very interesting, uh, the, the manner in which he's going about it. Um, no, I, I'm, I was excited uh, listening to him and, you know, look to learn more from that process. Uh, okay. What we found out is that, you know, there's no no one way to eat this elephant, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, you know, Brother Ari, if he's working with Brother Ari, I know uh, that he's going to get some work done. Sure, sure. Yeah. All right. So, is there, uh, um, um, Representative Rab, is there anything that you want to just close out the, um, the your conversation with, and as we wrap up the show? Well, I, I want to thank you all for leading this discussion. Um, it, it's an important one. We, we got to continue with this. We can't be self-conscious or uh, reticent. We have to be bold and resolute to continue make this a happen. You know, their reparations is not new. Um, many folks have gotten reparations, including other black folk, whether it's in Rosewood in Florida, uh, uh, folks in North Carolina who were um, sterilized without their consent or knowledge, uh, uh, any number of folks. So this is this is not new. This is appropriate. And I just want to say, too, in Pennsylvania, uh, they saw fit to set aside nearly half a billion dollars in tax credits. Now, that's the form of, of corporate welfare, if you ask me. When they talk about black folks' needs, they, they try to tie it to the welfare state. But the reality is we put money towards what we, cons what we consider most valuable, and there would not be the type of financial wealth in this country if it were not for the efforts the skills, the, the the black genius of our ancestors, and so we we mm -hmm. have to we have to do right by them, and keep uh, pushing true. pushing on, and being bold and innovative, and unapologetic for what we deserve. All right, thanks. Uh, thank you. So you've been listening to conversation reparations, conversation reparations, conversation reparations. The by monthly right now twice uh, twice a month uh, radio show sponsored by Encoba, the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America hosted by Brother Jamoke and Sister Bonita and we uh, had uh, a really good show today we um, spent time talking with our brother Cam Howard and the initiative that's been going on in Chicago and the state of Illinois to um, address reparations at the state level and at the city level uh, and then also uh, just finish listening to uh, uh, Representative Rab in terms of his um, putting forward a bill. I guess you haven't put it forward yet. You said you just announced that you're putting forward, but um, beginning to put forward um, legislation that would uh, address reparations at the state level in Pennsylvania. So we're going to continue to track that and follow that as well as continue to track and follow what's going on in Chicago, which, again, that bill will just be introduced um, resolution will be introduced on the 18th and then there'll be as Karen kept saying throughout this call work that will have to be done to follow up with that as well as work that has to be done to follow up with the, the legislation in Pennsylvania and, and as well as other cities and other states as they continue to 
um, latch onto this movement and, and carry it forward. So we give thanks for all of the workers. Uh, again, a shout out again also to our in Cobra chapter in uh, Philadelphia for their great work, and uh, definitely the Chicago chapter of in Cobra. Uh, and we appreciate everybody and we're going to continue to move this work forward so to all the organizations out there and grassroots uh, groups please join in in COBRA affiliate in your city or your state and let's move together collectively so that we can have a bigger impact and a quicker impact on reparations now both our guests and our Website is incobraonline.org. That's incobra, N-C-O-B-R-A, online.org. And you can find out more information.